This audio teaching is provided by PsychoLab.net. You are listening to Session 15, Filled with the Spirit, Part B, from the series, Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. This session was recorded live at Beit Sword Fellowship. Okay, so uh, we are... In the middle of session 15, you should have page 182 to start. Um, So session 15, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. In the first half of this session, we talked about what the scriptures mean by the phrase baptism in in the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we compared that with what people today mean when they use that same phrase. Uh, And we saw that according to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit indwells us the moment we put our faith in Messiah and receive salvation. Um, So it's impossible to be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit, right? But at the same time, we saw that being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time thing and that it's, we suggested, part of a lifelong journey. So in the rest of this session today, I want to focus on uh, on one basic question, and that is, what does the Holy Spirit do in us? And what is, uh, in other words, what's the purpose of having the Holy Spirit dwell within us, right? What roles does the Holy Spirit play in the life of a believer? Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're not going to quite finish this um, we'll we'll probably have one more session to conclude one more episode to conclude this session <laughs> all right so what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us so I'm gonna suggest six categories of roles that the Spirit performs and in your handouts there there's a chart and in the center column it lists like the six six main categories. Now this is not like super scientific or anything. This is kind of just my way of trying to organize it and make sense of it. Um, Other people might have a different way of trying to categorize it and that's okay. There's nothing hard and fast about this but uh, hopefully well, well we can talk about it after and you can let me know if this makes sense or if it's helpful or whatever but we're gonna look at six main categories. And so those categories are, number one, conviction of sin. That's a role that the Holy Spirit does, uh, that the the Spirit performs. Uh, Conviction of sin. Number two is regeneration. Number three is fellowship with God. Number four is holiness or sanctification. Number five is empowerment. And number six is life. So we're going to take a brief look at each of these. Now, we could also divide these up into two main categories. Um, there's two, two basic primary things that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit draws us to Messiah, and the Holy Spirit makes us more like Messiah. So that's the left column on the chart there. Um, he, he draws us to Messiah, and he makes us more like Messiah, conforms us to the image of Messiah. Um, And, you know, both those roles are Messiah-centered, right? Because 
the Holy Spirit is Messiah-centered, right? It says he will bear witness of Yeshua, and he will testify about Yeshua. And then there's also a sense in which we participate in both of those roles, right? There's a sense in which, yeah, the Holy Spirit draws us to Messiah and makes us more like Messiah, but then there's a sense in which we participate in that, in the Holy Spirit uses us to draw other people to Messiah and uses us to, um, well, God uses other people to help help us become more like Messiah, right? So, so we get to participate in that with the Holy Spirit working through us. So the Holy Spirit works in us, but the Holy Spirit also works through us, right? And so those, those six categories that I listed can be divided between those two broad categories, right? So the first three correspond to drawing us to Messiah. So the you know, conviction of sin, regeneration, and fellowship, this is the Holy Spirit's role of drawing us to Messiah. Holiness or sanctification, empowerment and life, this is the Holy Spirit making us more like Messiah. Uh, and, and the first three, um, they, they kind of mirror each other. The, the first three mirror the, the last three, right? So number one corresponds to number four. Conviction of sin is closely connected with sanctification. Regeneration is connected with empowerment and fellowship with God is connected with the life that the Holy Spirit imparts in us. We can also look at it as, like, what tense is it? You know, past, present, and future. So conviction of sin and regeneration are something that takes place in the past for us as believers. Fellowship, sanctification, and empowerment are present for us as believers. And life, you know, eternal life is something future right? I mean, there's a sense in which all of these are present, right? That's uh, not just past or just future. All of them apply to us today in some sense, but um, yeah, anyway, I hope that makes sense, how, how all that works together. The Spirit empowers us with giftings that are to be used for the benefit of the kehilah, or the assembly, right? which serve to conform believers to the likeness of Yeshua. Okay, so we're going to look at each of these, um, each of these six. We're going to start with number one, conviction of sin. And let's look at a couple passages that illustrate this. Uh, John 16, 8 to 11 says, And when he, referring to the, the spirit or the helper, the paraclete, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged so so this one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin now in the immediate context here it the sin described, it says, is because um, because they do not believe in me, right? In other words, the outpouring of the Spirit on the disciples was a testimony to those who did not follow Yeshua that they had missed, you know, God's God's plan and God's purpose in their days, right? So there's that 
there's that element to it. But I think also we can understand that in a more broad sense, the Holy, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin, right? That this is something the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Micah 3.8, as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So here the prophet Micah is being filled with the Spirit and empowered to um, declare um, to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. All right, another passage is 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25. If therefore the whole assembly comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Anyway, again, that just kind of illustrates the sense that the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is convict of sin, right? Convict people of sin. So this is, you could say that this is like the first step in being drawn to Messiah, right? They, you know, we always say that in, when it comes to sharing the gospel or accepting the gospel, the first step is to admit that you're a sinner, right? And really, that, that's a work of God's Spirit, is to, to show us that we are sinners in need of God's salvation and his grace and his forgiveness, right? So acknowledging that we're sinners, it shows us our need for Messiah and the need for repentance. So there's a sense in which, like I said, this is in the past. This is past tense for us as believers, right? Um, those of us who are currently walking with Yeshua. This is something that took place in the past when we were first confronted with our sin and our need for atonement, and we put our faith in Yeshua and received his forgiveness. That initial conviction of sin is part of that unfolding of coming to faith in Messiah, right? But there's also a sense in which this role of the Spirit is present and ongoing because the Spirit continues to convict us of sin as we grow in holiness, convicts us of, of what is true and convicts us of areas where we are falling short and our need for repentance. I think, you know, people always talk about a conscience, right? Your conscience tells you this or that. Um, uh, Isaiah 30, verse 21 is an interesting verse. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. The idea that, that the, the Holy Spirit is there to, to guide us and tell us, you know, this is the way you should be going, right? It's kind of like, you know, how in cartoons there's like a good angel and a bad angel. Well, in the scripture, the Holy Spirit is the good angel, and we're the bad angel. <laughs> we don't need a, a bad angel whispering in our ear. We do a good enough job ourselves of that. So, so the Holy Spirit is there to, to be our conscience, right? To, to lead us in the path that is true and, and convict us of sin, right? The convicting work of the Spirit is sometimes downplayed today, I think. 
you know, people, people want to be seeker friendly, accepting of everyone. But sometimes that translates into watering things down so as not to offend, right? We don't want to uh, make people feel uncomfortable. So we're, so, you know, the gospel that we present then becomes this cure all for your ills uh, rather than a call to repentance, right? Which is what the gospel is. Uh, that Yeshua preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, but, you know, this, this convicting power of the Spirit is, is important because if we saw sin the way God sees sin, it, we would be disturbed to our core, right? And I think it's also important to note that conviction is different than, like, condemnation or grief, Right? If Satan means what? Satan is accuser, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. And so, you know, the role of Satan is to accuse and condemn and, and that sort of thing. Um, whereas God's spirit brings conviction. And there's a difference, right? Because feeling grief and condemnation and guilt weighs us down and and leaves us feeling helpless. Whereas conviction draws us closer to God and to his grace. True conviction motivates us to change and, and brings about repentance rather than despair. And, you know, in a sense, the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin is really just the Spirit revealing the truth to us, right? As, uh, you know, the scriptures talk about the spirit bearing witness to the truth. Yeshua says he will come and he will, he will bear witness of the truth and, and lead you in truth, right? So the Holy Spirit convicts us of both truth and sin. The truth exposes sin for what it is. And we have to remember that this is a work of God's spirit. It's not, it's not something that I can do in my own strength. I can't, I can't make someone feel conviction for their sin. I can't, I can't convict someone else of the truth, right? I can't shove it down people's throats and expect it to, to sink in. It's something that God's spirit has to do, right? Um, only God, only God's spirit can do that. But God can use us, right? The Holy Spirit can work through us to, to bring that about in other people. And that's where you know, we want to be those willing vessels that the Spirit can use. Okay, so that was number one, conviction of sin. Let's talk about number two, regeneration. What does the word regeneration mean? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I guess literally it's like rebirth. Because like to generate or to, it means to like, give birth. That's where we get the word generation, right? Um, so regeneration, it means being born again. So in theological circles, when people talk about regeneration, it's the same as rebirth or born again, right? And, and so according to the scriptures, being born again, being regenerated uh, is a work of God's spirit, 
right? Titus 3, 5 to 6. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Yeshua Messiah, our Savior. And again, you know, the well-known passage, John 3, verses 3 to 8, when Yeshua is talking to Nicodemus, Yeshua says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, you know, Nicodemus objects, and, and then, you know, Yeshua answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Um, so he goes on, he talks about those who are born of the Spirit. So this is a work of the Spirit in regenerating us giving us giving us new birth right so remember also in first samuel 10 6 uh the prophet samuel he anoints saul as king and then he says you know this and this and this is going to happen to you and among those things he says, then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man another another person right and so you know all these passages are speaking of the transforming work of the holy spirit he makes us into a new person right or a new creation second corinthians five seventeen, a true encounter with messiah through his holy spirit results in us becoming a new creation so again you know obviously this is a past event for us as believers. When we put our faith in Messiah, when we submit our lives to him, he comes into our hearts through his spirit and changes us. But I would suggest that this doesn't have to be just a one-time event in the past because God's spirit can continue to transform us and will continue to transform us as we grow in holiness, which is number four on our chart, and, and also to empower us for his work, which is number five on our chart. So there's a sense in which we need that continual renewal of God's spirit in our lives. We need his transforming work to continue. And a true encounter with God's spirit ought to result in a change in us, right? And that's something that the spirit accomplishes. Okay, let's look at number three, which is fellowship with God. Um, so another role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us in fellowship and communion with God and with his son, Yeshua. Here are a couple of verses on that. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, The grace of the Lord, Yeshua Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So notice how with the Holy Spirit, well, first of all, notice this is one of those what we call triadic passages where we see the Father, um, Yeshua, and the Holy Spirit reference together right and associated with the holy spirit is this word fellowship koinonia right and so we could understand that possibly two different ways we could understand that to refer to the fellowship we have with other believers through the holy spirit i think that would be a legitimate way of understanding it um, we could also understand it to be the fellowship we have with god and with yeshua through the holy spirit so, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. 
in 1 John 1, 3, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Yeshua Messiah. So there's, there's some, a sense in which the Holy Spirit is involved in that process, in bringing us into fellowship with Messiah, right? Um, related to what we just talked about, this concept of being born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, we, uh, the, the Holy Spirit affirms our position as God's children. We're going to look at some passages here from Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jumping down to verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Um, and then it goes on, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to, pr- what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we've already talked about uh, what it means when the Spirit intercedes for us, right? Uh, This is, uh, I don't think that this is talking about the gift of tongues like some people suggest because it's talking about something that the Holy Spirit does, right? Not something that we do. Um, And this, this ministry of the Spirit in interceding on our behalf parallels the intercessory ministry of Messiah on our behalf, right? So anyway, we've already looked at that. I won't go into that again. But uh, let's talk about what this means, this this sonship, right? That we are declared to be sons, sons of God. Because uh, that's, a, that's a really precious truth, right? To be sons of God, I think there's a number of different facets that this is conveying. So here here are some suggestions on what it means to be a son of God in this sense. It means, number one, that we have an intimate relationship with God, right? Like it says, we have the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of slavery that makes us fall back into fear, right? So, so instead of a relationship that's based on wrath and fear, we have a relationship with God that's, that's intimate, that's one of a dear child, right? Number two, this can also mean that we are brought into the commonwealth of Israel since the children of Israel are called sons of God, right? And it says in Romans 9 verse 4, to them belong the adoption, right? So, so it's Israel that has this status of being sons of God or, or the son of God. God says in Exodus 4, Israel is my firstborn, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 14.1, you are all sons of God. So, so if, if, if a son of God means Israel, right, an Israelite, then for us to be given the status of sons of God who are not 
physical descendants from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That means we have been brought in, we who are far off have been brought in and become uh, fellow heirs and partakers with Israel, right, in the commonwealth of Israel. We're, we're grafted in. So number three, the son being a son of God or sons of God also means that we're heirs. Um, and that's why even though it's it's maybe awkward for a woman to say, I'm a son of God, <laughs> it's in the thinking of that day, being a son makes you an heir, right? So it's a legal status as opposed to like, you know, yeah, if you if you translate it as daughter of God, it wouldn't have the same legal ramifications in those days, right? So the fact that it specifies the word son here is it's emphasizing this, you know, the sense that we're heirs in the sense of participating in the messianic era, the resurrection, right? In verse 23, it talks about the redemption of our bodies that we're waiting for, that this is, this is part of, you know, what we inherit through this status of being sons of God. And then number four, Obviously, Yeshua is the Son of God, right? Yeshua is, is the ultimate Son of God. And, and there's a sense in which being adopted and being called sons of God, that we are being conformed to the image of Yeshua, as it says in verse 29. And this is what we'll talk about in a moment with sanctification. All right? So anyway, there's a lot packed into this. and But it's the Holy Spirit that brings this about, right? Where we... We are brought into this relationship with God where we can have fellowship with him and, and the Holy Spirit guides that. It's through the Holy Spirit that we have this special relationship with God and this hope for the future. So the Holy Spirit also guides and directs us. And I, I have this categorized under fellowship. Um, so he guides us in all truth. And, and this guidance is intrinsically connected to his word. So it exemplifies the role of the Holy Spirit in implanting God's word within us. The fellowship with Messiah that the Holy Spirit facilitates is centered especially on two things, God's word and on prayer. So the, the Spirit illuminates the word within us, right? It's God's spirit that makes his word come to life and bear fruit in our hearts. It's what makes his word living and active, like it says in Hebrews 4.12. God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? That's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that makes his word come to life. Because, after all, Ephesians 6.17, the word, God's word is the sword of the spirit, right? And there's a special connection between God's word and God's spirit. So the spirit's... Um, you know, when we're, when we're reading scripture and when God's word speaks to us in a, in a personal way, it's the Holy Spirit that is, that is facilitating that. And God also uses his word to guide us and direct us, right? The Spirit's guidance, well, you know, we might say it's subjective in a sense, the Spirit will always lead us back to God's objective word, right? The two go together. And then the Holy Spirit also empowers us in prayer. 
We're exhorted to pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6.18 and Jude 20. Um, so there's a sense, you know, like we just read, we don't always know how to pray as we ought, right? We don't always know what to pray for. Um, and sometimes we go, through, we go through times where we feel a certain, like a special burden to pray for a certain situation or a person or something like that. And I believe that's God's spirit putting that burden on, on our hearts, right? I believe it's his spirit that, that gives us the ability to pray with, with passion or the ability to pray in a way that's relevant <laughs> and, and significant. So, you know, it's amazing that God is so merciful to us that, you know, even when we don't really know how to cry out for him properly, he helps us <laughs> ask him for help. I think that's amazing. So that's a role of the Spirit. So it's important to keep in mind that this role of the Spirit is something ongoing, and it requires our participation and discipline. Prayer and scripture, right? They're, they're the crux of our personal spirituality, right? Our, our means of communion with God is those two things that really sum up, you know, what does it mean to be a believer on a daily basis in terms of what, what do you do for your spirituality well prayer and scripture those are the two things right you know those are what are essential for growth and we never outgrow it right we never graduate past needing to still maintain this discipline of being in god's word and spending time in prayer it's something that that continues our whole lives and the holy spirit is the one who facilitates that. This is a primary role of the Spirit in facilitating that communion that we have with God through his word and through prayer. All right, we're going to look at one more, uh, and that's number four, talking about holiness or sanctification. So the Holy Spirit also facilitates our sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6.11, But you were washed... You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua Messiah and by the Spirit of God. So, first of all, let's talk about these English words. Because in English, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> we, we use two completely different words that sound completely different, that are unrelated, to express one concept. Right? You have the word holy or holiness, and you have the word sanctify or, or sanctification. And those words don't sound anything alike, but they're actually talking about the same thing. Right? So holy is an old English word that comes from like Germanic origins, right? Um, where sanctify or sanctification comes from the Latin word sanctus meaning holy, sacred, right? So we've got, you know, this Latin word thrown into our English where, you know, that's kind of, they kind of mean the same thing, but we kind of use them differently, and then people get confused. Are you talking about two different things, or what are you talking about? Well, technically, sanctify means to make holy. That's, that's all it means, right? Because we don't, we don't have an equivalent word 
from the root holy. You can't say holify. You know, the Spirit will holify you to make you holy. <laughs> so we have to use a different word, sanctify, in order to make our grammar work. But, but the, the important thing is that in, in Hebrew and also in Greek, those two English words are translating just one word, right? So in Hebrew, we have kadash, the word kadosh, kodesh, um, and, you know, all these different words that are built off of that root, kadash. And in Greek, we have the same thing uh, with the word hagios. Hagios is, you know, and, and related words mean holy or sanctify or that sort of thing, right? So in other words, holiness and sanctification, they're really the same thing, right? We're, we're just talking about the same thing. And I know it can be confusing, but... Anyway, so this, this is an important aspect of the Holy Spirit, right? Because holiness is part of the very name of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. So there's something about holiness that is associated with the Spirit. Or there's something about the Holy Spirit that's associated with holiness. You know, the Hebrew Ruach HaKodesh you could also translate it, we always translate it as Holy Spirit. You could also translate it as Spirit of Holiness, right? Ruach is Spirit. Uh, Kodesh is like Holy or Holiness. So, and actually Paul refers to him as the Spirit of Holiness in Romans 1.4. We have Pneuma Hagiosunes, the Spirit of Holiness, right? Anyway, so the very name of the Holy Spirit implies that a primary work of the Spirit is to make us holy, to sanctify us, right? That's one of the, one of the big things that the Spirit does. So what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be holy or sanctified? Because holy means set apart, Right? But in the context of the work of the Spirit, theologians use the word sanctification with a slightly different nuance. This is one of those concepts that's thrown around in theological circles and everyone just assumes you know what they're talking about. But, you know, if we try and take it out of this theological jargon, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about sanctification? Any suggestions? Yeah, in the process of being made righteous. Yep. Setting apart, yeah. You know, one of, one of the primary facets of sanctification in, in theological circles that we're talking about here is obedience, right? Becoming righteous and becoming more like Messiah. So there's, I don't want to, get too bogged down in some of these different things, but we have, we have this term justification, right? Which, and that, that's another word pair in English that we don't always catch. Justify and righteousness are actually the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. So to justify means to make righteous, just like sanctify means to make holy. Right? So 
so we have justification, which is which is considered like a legal court ruling. You've been declared not guilty, right? But then there's the practical working out of actually living up to that, which we call sanctification, becoming holy. Right, just as if I never sinned. Yeah, justification is an instantaneous, punctiliar experience, right? It happens at a moment in time, whereas sanctification is something that kind of drags on <laughs> the rest of our lives. Yeah. So, so when we become believers, right, when we put our faith in Yeshua, we receive salvation, we receive God's forgiveness as a free gift, and it cleanses, you know, God cleanses us from our sin. But then we have to actually live that out, right? We have to, uh, there's this ongoing lifelong war that we wage against sin. So sanctification is something that we grow in our whole lives, right? Our sinful nature is still there. Just because you become a believer doesn't mean your sinful nature is miraculously taken away, right? But with God's help, we can grow in, in, in becoming more and more like Yeshua, right? So there's a sense in which sanctification is part of our salvation. And I know I've heard the explanation many times that, and my dad has used this a lot, there's three tenses to salvation, right? So justification is the past tense in salvation. That's what happened the moment we became a believer, just as if you've never sinned, right? That's the legal, legal ruling is made, not guilty, you know, righteous. And then the present tense is sanctification, which is the ongoing work of becoming more and more righteous in our, in our conduct, in our lives, and, and growing in, in godly character. And then there's the future tense, uh, which will happen when we receive our resurrected bodies. It's glorification, right? So you have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Um, so glorification is when we receive our resurrected bodies and no longer have a sinful nature, right? Uh, and, this is, and this is all part of salvation. So, uh, in other words, it doesn't make any sense for a person to come to faith in Messiah, but then keep walking in the same sinful lifestyle that they had before they were a believer, right? That, and the Bible speaks against this in a number of places. It's not something that, you know, a true characteristic of someone who is a new creation in Messiah is that they will have a desire to follow God's ways, right? And that they will be growing in sanctification. So salvation experience, that initial justification, that's just the start of a lifelong journey of being sanctified in our behavior and becoming more like Yeshua. And, and we become more and more and more like Yeshua until that culminates in the future glorification where we receive a resurrected body just like Yeshua's. So anyway, that's sanctification in a nutshell. Um, and I do have to mention that there are different theological positions out there as to exactly how sanctification works. Um, we've already 
looked a little bit at Wesleyan theology in different times throughout the throughout this series. Uh, so there there's strains of Wesleyan theology that suggest that sanct- sanctification is an instantaneous experience. Um, just like just like justification is an instantaneous experience, that sanctification is an experience that happens in a moment where in a blink, suddenly your sinful nature is overcome and you reach this state where you never sin again, right? Sinless perfectionism, um, Wesleyan perfectionism. That, that's something we've mentioned it briefly. Um, and we'll take a closer look at that in session 16 when we're, we're going to dive into Romans chapter 7 and what Paul exactly means there. But, but anyway... I don't want to get too bogged down with that here, but let me just say that I believe, and I think the scriptures are pretty clear in teaching this, that sanctification is a lifelong process. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a one-time event. It's a process. It's not an event, right? It's something that we go through that we struggle with in the sense of, you know, we're putting on our armor, that, that armor of God, we're we're fighting a battle, and the battle doesn't stop until we see him in glory. <laughs> so, sanctification is a vital role of the Spirit in our lives as believers. And a big part of sanctification is the Spirit empowering us to walk in righteousness. And we can see this clearly in Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Messiah Yeshua from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And down to verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So notice what it says there, that through the Spirit, um, he enables us to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. I know that there are people who believe the law has been abolished that have a different way of trying to explain that. But I believe what Paul is saying here is that when we're walking in the spirit, God's spirit empowers us to walk in the righteous requirements of the law, right? The Torah, he empowers us to live according to God's standards. So in other words, God's spirit gives us victory over sin and empowers us to follow Torah. And can, you know, compare that with Ezekiel 36, 27, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So so this is is a, a primary role of God's spirit, is to empower us to walk in righteousness and to follow God's ways. And the spirit will also empower us to grow in godly character. And I think that's what, you know, 
we have with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit in us will produce that kind of godly character, that godly fruit, right? There will be good fruit that, that will come. So to go back to talking about someone who becomes a believer and fails to grow in sanctification, you know, that's like you plant a seed in the ground and it starts to grow, but then it never bears fruit, right? Like in the parable of the, the sower. We have the four different kinds of, of soil that receives the word, the seed, right? You have the stuff that's thrown on the path. You know, it doesn't even germinate because the seeds eat it right away. You have the stuff that's thrown uh, on, the, on the rocks and they spring up, but then they die away right away. And then you have the stuff sown among the thorns and it, it grows, but it doesn't bear fruit. So with each of these, there's a progression. The goal is to bear fruit. The one on good soil bears fruit, you know, a hundred times, you know, what was sown. That's what, when we have an encounter with Messiah, with his spirit, it should result in change and in us being convicted of sin and repenting. And there should be good fruit, the fruit of his spirit growing in us, right? Hebrews 12, verse 14 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So holiness is important, right? It's important for us to grow in holiness. And we are called to be a holy people, right? So being holy, well, like we said, holy means set apart, right? So part of being holy involves being different, right? The opposite in, in Hebrew, the opposite of kadosh, holy, the opposite of that is chol, which means common, every day. So to be not holy means it's just common, normal, right? So being holy means we'll be different, right? We're not going to be quite like everyone else. <laughs> now we have to be careful here because there are some believers out there who try to be weird in the wrong ways. That's being weird is not supposed to be our goal, right? We're weird enough already. <laughs> following Messiah and following Torah really makes us stand out. And we're not supposed to go around intentionally trying to find other things to make us even weirder. But the fact is that as believers, we're different. We can't help it, right? That's, that's who we are. And I think part of it is about avoiding worldliness. Um, it's, you know, I might suggest that worldliness and holiness are opposites, right? Because being worldly is like common. That's what, that's what everyone does. And again, the goal is not just to be weird for the sake of being weird, but, well, like James says in James 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
It's very strong language. There's five times in the Torah where God says, Be holy, for I am holy. Right? Kedoshim tihya. You shall be kedoshim. You shall be holy, holy ones, for I am holy. God set Israel apart to be a holy people. And this is one of the things that like, we see in Israel's history. So many times, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have tried to be like everyone else around them. And it never works, right? It's, it's like they're, they're always stuck with this status of being different than everyone, than all the other nations. And that's because God set them apart to be holy, right? And actually, by the way, this is where we get the word saint. Does everyone know what the word saint means? It's just a, a holy person, right? So, so we read we read about saints in the in the Bible all the time, and it, kedoshim is one of the words used. There's two Hebrew words. One is chasidim, um, which means like devout or pious ones, is often translated as saint. Saints uh, kedoshim is also often translated as saints. So, you know, um, holy people, right? So when God says, you shall be holy, kadoshim tihia, you could translate that as, you shall be saints. For I am holy, or a saint. Uh, Yeah, it kind of breaks down. That's why people don't translate it that way, but you get the point. So, So in the Bible, when you see the word saint or saints, it's talking about Israel, not Catholics. This is, this is one of, you know, the titles of God's people, Israel, right? So when we, who are not physical, descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, receive an inheritance with the saints, that means we are being grafted into Israel, right? So Israel's called to be a chosen people, a holy people, and she's different whether she likes it or not, right? Also notice the first time that God says, be holy for I am holy in the Torah. Well, the first two times are in Leviticus chapter 11 in the context of talking about what you can eat and what you can't eat, right? Clean and unclean animals. Kashrut, dietary laws. And, you know, keeping, keeping kosher really sets you apart. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a very practical thing that makes us different than the average person out there. You know, we, I mean, I, I don't even remember what it's like to go to a grocery store and not care about what the ingredients are, right? Or go to a restaurant and not care about what's in the dish that I'm ordering, right? We've become accustomed to checking labels, right? Checking ingredient lists and things like that, right? And... That's something that makes us different. I think it can also be kind of an allegory of what we experience in the world in general, right? Our entertainment choices, the kind of media that we let in, and that sort of thing, right? What we consume for entertainment or gossip, what we listen to. Right. United, yep, there's a special standard for Israel because 
they're different. God has set them apart, so they're never going to be treated like just another nation. And it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to be that. Maybe sometimes it is, but to be a holy people, you know, part of it means checking what the ingredients are of something before we consume it, right? And I think that can be literally and metaphorically, right? We don't have the liberty to just consume all the kinds of stuff out there that your average person consumes, right? And that's part of what it means to live in the spirit too, right? Because all the unkosher stuff out there, and I'm talking about like entertainment, worldly influences, gossip, whatever we expose ourselves to, right? If it's not, not kosher, it affects us, right? And, and it doesn't feed our spirit, it feeds our flesh. That's the question, is, is what are we wanting to grow in? <laughs> so holiness is a journey, right? It's not a, it's not a destination. It's not a place that you arrive at and then you're there. It's a, it's a lifelong journey. It's a walk of discipleship to Yeshua. And every day with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can become more and more like our master. So, and the point is not to be holier than thou, right? It's not to be where, like that's what happens when we start focusing on other people and their standards or lack of standards or whatever, right? Instead of focusing on ourselves. So that's not our goal. Our goal is not to be holier than thou, but our goal is to be striving forward. Uh, I remember someone describing having high personal standards without condemning others, right? So being willing to, to take a high stand ourselves without feeling the need to judge everyone around us for where their standards are. Being holy as God is holy sounds like an impossible task. <laughs> and it is. How can we ever be holy as God is holy? Right? We'll never arrive there in this life. But with God's help, we can be heading in that direction, right? And that's the point, is that this is a trajectory, right? It's a journey. It's not a destination. And so we want to be on that trajectory of becoming more and more like Yeshua. And that's something that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in us. All right, so we'll close off there. And next time, we'll continue looking at these six roles of the Holy Spirit and finish off this session. So... Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your spirit to dwell in our hearts. Thank you that you have given us a spirit of sonship and a spirit of adoption and that we can call you Abba, that we can call you our Father. Thank you for this precious truth of this intimate relationship that we have with you I ask, Father, that you would please help us to grow in, in our walk with you, that you would help us to grow in holiness, and that you would, through your Spirit, be convicting us and leading us and guiding us every day. In Yeshua's name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this audio teaching. The goal of Segula is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement. This series of teachings on the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is made possible through the help of our ministry partners and supporters. For more information about this ministry, please visit www.segula.net. May the Father richly bless you as you seek Him, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.